Okay, time for another edition of the Penn State Blitz podcast. I'm Bob Flounders, joined by Greg Pickle, and we're going to talk a lot about what Penn State Athletic Director Sandy Barber had to say this week. We're going to lead with that. Also, we heard from Penn State third-year linebacker Jesse Lucetta, who had some interesting stories about training from Canada. We have a recruiting update surrounding a potential, well, he's a Penn State verbal, Christian Dayu. I hope I got that name right. A quarterback at the Elite 11. And then, as always, Greg and I will close with the Penn State mailbag. Okay, Greg, we decided to wait a little bit to hear Sandy Barber, Penn State's AD, talk because we hadn't heard from her in a while. She talked on Wednesday, and I'm glad we did because she had a lot to say about a lot of different things. But let's just, I don't know what struck you the most, but to me, let's start with the testing. It's not just Penn State's football players, but there's some other sports that are up there as they begin their slow-phased return, attempted return, maybe to get ready to maybe compete again. But Greg, I believe they had, according to Sandy, they had they tested 102 athletes, including the football team, and there were zero positives. They're going to do it. I think they're going to release results every Wednesday. Anything surprising about that to you? It didn't really surprise me. Yeah, every other Wednesday they'll come out with results. Sandy said that they'll do two weeks at a time until uh, the semester starts, and then they'll decide how they want to handle that moving forward. Wasn't necessarily shocked that there was no, uh, you know, no positive test. But let's keep in mind that there's been a few uh, other schools who have reported positive or no positive test uh, the first time that they released information, and then within week two, three weeks. Um, you know, they were in a place where they had to shut down the workouts because guys had tested positive. So a good sign to start with doesn't guarantee that things will continue that way moving forward. I guess we can just uh, keep our fingers crossed and hope that everyone's healthy. But yeah, that obviously was the thing that stuck out the most. They're not going to be sharing testing information about the coaches, the coaching staffs of any sport. They're going to let that be handled by the numbers that the center county reports to the state. So we'll never know, I guess, unless someone's not there on game day, we'll never know if a coach tests positive. But yeah, all told, Bob, I think that when you look at everything she had to say yesterday, I don't know about you, but I probably walked away a little bit more pessimistic about on-time start to the college football season. Or, you know, I think we can all agree that it's not going to be a normal college football season. But There's just so many questions to be answered at this point. We are two weeks, or I'm sorry, almost two months from the start of the season. We are almost two weeks from the start of the 20-hour-a-week workouts that reunite the players and the coaches, and we're about a month from the start of camp. And I'd make the argument that we really don't know anything more than we did in March or uh, April or May or June about the start of a, a season. So I guess I was maybe walking away a little bit more pessimistic about how things are going to play out. What about you? You know, Sandy is usually, she doesn't usually have a, I don't know how to say this. She, she, you don't usually get a very strong sense from her. She's, you know, sometimes she kind of, she's very good at kind of talking about things in a, in a broader sense, a big picture sense, a general sense. And that's, I guess, part of her job. But it came through loud and clear to me, Greg, that she doesn't really want to see Penn State really have any part maybe of the season move to the spring. She just, she, she went through a, a, a list of reasons why, and a lot of them make sense, but her main reason for that is she doesn't see how if they played in the spring, and if you define the spring, maybe March, you know, when would that end, number one? And she doesn't, she, she, she that would be another missed uh, spring practice session for the program, but also 
it would it would really run into the fall season. How would that work out? She's concerned about physical wear and tear on the bodies of the student athletes. But to try and cram two seasons essentially into about, you know, eight months uh, seems to be something she 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 said it was a last resort. I believe her when she said it. But certainly it would not surprise me now, given where we are. We're in July and there's still a lot of uncertainty. It would not surprise me at all if they push back the start of this season. Yeah, I, I could see that, Bob. I could also see the non-conference schedule going away and just moving all of the conference games up to September and finagling it so that they're still done right by right around Thanksgiving. Maybe that's a possibility, a shortened season of some sort. I, I guess the problem, and you can read it all over the, uh, the national outlets, is that there's no universal testing plan for the Power Five, let alone something to submit to the Group of Five. I think it was CBS Sports that wrote about that recently. There's no, obviously no one commissioner or person to make these decisions unilaterally for everyone so that everyone is on the same page. The NCAA is pretty much hands-off. They don't really run college football in a lot of ways anyway. The college football playoff does. So it's going to be a challenge. There's no doubt about that. And I think that before long, you're going to have some of these group of five schools just throw their hands up and say, we can't afford to do this the way that it needs to be done. We're just not going to play. So I just have a lot of doubts about the non-conference schedule. You'd hope by the end of the month here, you know, SEC commissioner in an interview with uh, Sports Illustrated, SEC commissioner Greg Sankey said that he believes all these decisions have to be made by the start of training camp on August 7th. So you would think before long, Bob, we'd hear something more concrete. But Again, it comes down to who is going to make these decisions. You know, you have all these Power Five conferences that have different rules based on where they are in the country. They have different philosophies on how they want to go about doing things. I don't see how you're going to get all of them on the same page, and that's going to be the biggest challenge. So we'll see. Penn State's plan, you know, just to talk on testing for a second, Penn State's plan is to test upon arrival and then only test again if somebody is symptomatic. I mean, some schools are going to test, I think, every two weeks because they can afford to do it. And I'm not saying Penn State can't, but that's just a plan that they put into place. So, yeah, a lot of, a lot to figure out at this point. And it's, of course, encouraging that the guys are back on campus. It'll soon be able to have time with the coaches for the first time since March. But a lot of obstacles to figure out beyond that. Yeah. And just before we um, just before we conclude our thoughts on what uh, Sandy Barber had to say, you uh, you wrote a story about it. But uh, clearly, if when, when football does resume, it's not going to be a full house at Beaver Stadium. It might not be you know, you know, half full. It could be a quarter full. We don't know what it's going to look like, but we're pretty sure it's going to look like is if you if you're not a season ticket holder and you want to see Penn State football when it resumes this year, it's going to probably have to be on TV. Right, Greg? Yeah, that sounds about right. So, I mean, let's just ballpark the season ticket holders at thirty five thousand. That might be a little high, might be a little bit low, but sounds about right. We don't know if they're going to sell student season tickets. We know that they sold three thousand or so new season ticket packages. So we're talking about but based on the numbers that we have, about probably 40,000 season tickets already committed, somewhere between 30 and 40,000. And it's really hard to envision a scenario where Pennsylvania allows uh, sporting events, concerts to be played with any more than 40,000 people. In fact, I'd be willing to bet it's going to be far less than that once the decision is made. So they have to decide how they're going to even refund the people who don't get in and what kind of system they're going to use to decide which season ticket holders get in. So, yeah, there's... um. There's almost virtually no chance that uh, that single game ticket sales will be a factor this year. And if, and if they decide to sell student season tickets, and I think it's almost a certainty that that won't be the case. So disappointing, I'm sure, but I think not unexpected either. OK, let's move along to Penn State player news. We talked to 
Penn State uh, third-year linebacker Jesse Lucada, who is a contender for one of the starting spots in the linebacker core. He won't take Micah Parsons' job, but he's going to, I think, probably battle Greg. He's probably going to battle Ellis Brooks for Jan Johnson's old job in the middle. He had some interesting things to say. He just recently returned to State College. I think when we talked to him, he was still he was still kind of self-quarantining because he had just arrived and he hadn't really spent any time with his teammates. But when he was in Canada, which is, he played at Mercer Harris Prep, but he, he grew up in Canada. He got to train with some NHL players and that I think, and, and speaking of NHL players, I believe he trained with an NHL player on your favorite team. You want to tell us about that? Yeah, Claude Giroux. Uh, so apparently uh, there's a kick, world kickboxing champion, Tony Greco, who owns some gyms in the Canada, Ottawa area, or in Canada, in the Ottawa area, Ontario. And yeah, Jesse said he's worked out with him for a long time. Mike Fisher, the former or current, I'm not exactly sure, but the Nashville Predator, Carrie Underwood, his wife, uh, kind of told a funny story about how he just knew her as Carrie from the gym. Uh, and obviously, <laughs> then he saw her on a Super Bowl uh, commercial before she sang the national anthem. So little bit of humor out of that story but yeah it sounded like he had quite the uh ordeal of course getting back into the country but they got everything worked out they arrived earlier this week in state college will be able to start working out next week and that's going to be a fascinating battle bob because he talked about being able to really take a step forward with the mental side of the game but he has to put that into practice now with the pads on and the same goes for ellis brooks so you know if we had a spring practice those two guys would have had a chance to really duke it out and maybe uh maybe one of them would have made some headway now it is probably about as even as it could be going into this summer camp so brent pry will have a lot of work to do to figure out who starts at that spot and then of course who starts at the other spot between brandon smith and lance dixon yeah and i i think that they want to play all six uh, or at least five linebackers here I don't, this year i don't know how much mike is going to come off the field but they want to play both the, both the second year linebackers uh brandon smith and lance dixon and they're going to play Lucada and uh, Ellis Brooks. I think Ellis Brooks, in my mind, is still the guy to beat out. I like what I saw from him last year. He's a little bit older. He's a good athlete. So I think I, I think they're both going to play. I still think it's Ellis's job to lose, at least at the start of the game. Greg, before we get to some recruiting news involving a Penn State verbal who's a quarterback, a highly touted quarterback, let's uh, let's clue in our listeners about what they can do. Subscribe, evaluate. Our, po- our podcast and how to give us five stars. Yeah, let's see if I can remember how to do this after a week off. You are listening to the Penn State Blitz podcast, of course, the Penn State Blitz video as well. Like, rate, and subscribe uh, on your favorite uh, audio service, whether it's Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your audio. Uh, leave us some feedback. Let us know how we're doing. And then if you're watching the video version of this, you can find it, of course, always at youtube.com slash State. Our archived footage is there as well. So if you're a little bit longing for some Penn State football clips, maybe a whiteout game, uh, maybe a bus arrival, you can find that there at youtube.com slash all Penn State. Bob, I believe as we segue into third down that uh, there's even some recruiting videos on there as well. Awesome. Yes. And always give us our your opinion, even if we we could stand a little constructive criticism. I know that. We're going to take a break and come right back after this. Penn State Blitz podcast rolls on. I'm Bob Flounders talking with Greg Pickle. Greg, what can you tell us about, you know, the fan base always gets excited when Penn State gets a highly touted recruit, especially a quarterback, even though they have a lot of quarterbacks already in the system. Christian Bayou, who is a pretty hot commodity, 
is up at the Elite 11 Finals. He's competing there, prestigious event. What can you tell us about Christian, and have you learned anything more about Christian? Can you learn anything more about Christian and, and regarding his performance in the Elite 11? Yeah, there are a lot of evaluators who really like the way that he performed. Um, and so, you know, looking at the, uh, you know, the top 11, I think that, uh, you know, uh, he was not included in that top 11 list. Some evaluators did include him in their personal top 11, but the Elite 11 folks who uh, picked that based off a of 50% junior season film, 50% camp evaluation and various traits uh, did not include him in their Elite 11. But look, it, it doesn't really matter. There were a lot of thoughts and evaluations from people who were there saying that he throws a very nice deep ball. He missed on some of the short throws, so that might be an area for him to work on. But uh, I believe it was Trent Dilfer who's told 247 Sports that he really mixed in some wow throws. So this is a guy to be excited about. And I think more importantly is the fact that when you have that Elite 11 status, it kind of gets you into a conversation with some of the more national players when you're talking to receivers and running or and running backs and offensive linemen and tight end. You know, I think it gives a little bit more cachet when you're trying to recruit those guys. We've already seen some of it on social media. So I think it's a good experience for him, regardless of the fact that maybe he wasn't a part of the final Elite 11. It, Penn State's had a pretty good history of guys going there, including Sean Clifford. So uh, Christian joins that fraternity now as well and learned something interesting uh, this morning, actually. Uh, Christian actually trains with the same quarterback coach that Trace McSorley does. So Aaron Kasnitz was talking with Trace about how his offseason is going recently and uh, noted that, uh, you know, Christian Bayou trains at the same place he does. So that's an interesting connection as well. And just one thing to clear it up for the fans. So Christian Bayou was at the Elite 11 finals, but they, Greg, if I have this right, they, they, there are more than 11 quarterbacks there, and then they pick their Elite 11 of that group. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So there's 20 on hand, I think, somewhere between 17 and 20, and they whittle that list after three days of competition to 11. Yeah, it's like the Big Ten. It's not really the Big Ten. It's like the Big 14, but we still call it the Big Ten, but yeah. maybe not the same, but there was more than 11 quarterbacks there. They just try and pick their elite 11, hence the name. So there you go. You're welcome for that. Greg, before we go, we got to get to the Penn State mailbag. I haven't, I don't think we've talked on this, uh, on this podcast and on this blitz uh, for a while. We've either been on vacation or just we've been doing it with different people. So uh, we haven't had a chance to mailbag it for a little bit. So I'm sure the mailbag is overflowing for you right now. It sure is. Yeah, I'm looking at them now. Jeff wants to know, what you think the impact on the overall quality of play will be during games because of all of the lost practice time and everything else that's been going on since March? Do you think it'll be a much lower quality? Do you think it'll be about the same? Do you think anyone will notice a difference if everyone's playing at about the same level of play? Yeah, right. So the team, the, the teams that are the deepest would probably be wise to lean on that depth because you would have to think conditioning is going to be a factor because most programs didn't have spring drills and a lot of the athletes had to condition from home didn't have access to gyms had to kind of work out in their house you know run into trees throw trees around jump through hoops whatever they had to do it makes sense right that the conditioning won't be there at the start and you know as far as organization and people being on the same page I think that might be a little bit lacking early as well Penn State's learning a, a new offense, and you know Kirk Shiraka has, has done what he's he's been able to do from afar, but it's not the same as repetition. So 
I don't think it'll it's going to look like a normal season at the start when it does start it's going to take a few weeks I think I think people would should expect that but um it's kind of the it's kind of the cost of of doing business during a pandemic uh it just is not going to be a normal season I think if you're a Penn State fan you just hope that you see you know some semblance of in terms of games of of a regular season and I don't think anyone really wants to see the season uh, bleed into the spring for a lot of reasons, but um, it's just, it's, it's, it's literally a day-to-day proposition, Greg. Every day I, I wake up thinking something different about Penn State season. Sometimes it's optimism. Sometimes it's like, well, uh, I don't see how this is going to happen. So I guess I don't blame Penn State for being a little bit vague about uh, their thoughts on maybe opening on time and some, some questions about testing because I just think they have about a ton of contingency plans and they're just hoping yeah. that they're hoping for the best. Yeah, I'm right there with you, Bob. I think they are just hoping beyond hope that things clear up and that the increased case counts uh, stop and flatten out and everything else. We'll see. I don't know. I look at it as even if the quality play is not where we expect it to be, it's better than like it's like Tuesday night action in November, right? Bad football is better than no football. So I think we'll all take what we can get. Um, one question that came in just a few minutes ago, Bob, is that, you know, Penn State had zero positives. A lot of other schools have had extremely high n- test numbers. And, and this listener wants to know why we think that is. And I, I think it's just random. There's not much I can think of that would, you know, it's indicate one reason or the other why Penn State hasn't had any positives yet. Keep in mind that of the 102 they tested, they weren't all football players. So as more football players come back, perhaps there will be some more positive. Penn State, we mentioned that earlier, Bob. They're going to release numbers every other Wednesday, but they're not going to break it down by sports. So when there is the first positive, I don't think we'll know whether it's a football player or not. Yeah, and I just want to add it. A lot of it speaks to maybe the organization and the structure of the Penn State athletic program, specifically the football program. Uh, Knowing James Franklin the way we do, I am sure, Greg, that Haluba Hall has never been cleaner than it has been yeah. in the last month. I'm sure J- James is a big stickler uh, for stuff like that. We joke about it, but he, he just is a very, he's a guy that stresses cleanliness. And I, I, I know that sounds weird, but I just think that they've probably done a tremendous job sanitizing that place. The attention to detail is there. But also, I think the, uh, the other uh, component, just real quick to talk about is, you know, how is this team conducting itself um, away from practices? Are they, yeah. are they, are they, doing what they're told are they keeping themselves you know are they are are there are there are there any parties i hate to say it but i think a lot of the issues with kids um maybe uh getting sick it might not be related to the football related uh, activities it could be uh it could also be related to their downtime i don't want to speculate but my sense is this is a team i think as a pretty strong leadership group i think they want to play i think they're hungry to play i think they're hungry to show how good they can be this year and i think you know, State College is not exactly the craziest town uh, in the state of Pennsylvania. I just wonder if all of that, you know, uh, James Franklin and his staff preaching, you know, doing the right thing, plus Haluba uh, Hall and the sanitization process being what it is. I think all of that might be in play. What about you, Greg? Yeah, I'm right there with you. We've seen James Franklin not drink a Gatorade after games because somebody else had opened it for him. So cleanliness certainly is something he knows and sanitization is something he is uh, – a big believer in, so that shouldn't be an issue for Penn State. All right, Bob, last one coming up on the 4th of July. 
Holiday, give me one player who could be make fireworks this year for Penn State, either on offense or defense that fans aren't thinking of. Oh, that's a really good question. One player who could make fireworks. Does, uh, the player to me that I think, uh, the two players that I think are going to really, really uh, shine this year for Penn State. Um, one's pretty well known. The other one, I, I, we don't, we're just waiting for what we think is going to happen. For me, it's two players. It's P.J. Mustafer at defensive tackle. I think this is an NFL player. Um, he's he's a, a mature kid. He's an athletic kid. He's a strong kid. He's going to get more playing time. And the other one, I've heard it. I've heard it from too many people that I trust. Brandon Smith, I think, is is a future star. The only question is how quickly we see it. I think by the second half of the of this next season, whenever it starts, he's going to be one of the very best linebackers in the Big Ten. And that says something because Penn State already has the best linebacker in the Big Ten in Michael Parsons. No question, Bob. I'm going to go with Keandre Lambert. I think he's going to shine not just for Kirk Scirocco's offense, but also in the return game this year. He's a guy who maybe is not quite going to replace K.J. Hamler. That's pretty tough to do. But I think Penn State fans will be very uh, pleased with what they see from him once the pads go on. All right. So that's going to do it for this edition of the Penn State Blitz and the Penn State Blitz podcast. We'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for joining us on this week's edition of the Penn State Blitz. Don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe. Leave your feedback. And remember, if you subscribe, you'll get the podcast a day early. Otherwise, it's on Penn Live every Thursday. We'll see you next week.